0: It's why I've become so stingy with in my interviews. But I love doing it with you mainly because I grew up with you, and uh, and it's just more intelligent and more fun.
1: Candid interviews with legends he calls friends. Hot button issues. Best selling author. New York Daily News columnist. Compelling. The Mike Lupica Podcast. Here's Mike Lupica. I first met my guest on today's Mike Lupica podcast because of a phone call from Bob Knight in the middle of the 1980s bill parcells was a rookie head coach with the giants they were struggling he nearly lost his job at the end of the year knight called me up one day because i knew knight by then and he said do you know parcells yet and i said well just go into press conference he says get to know him you'll love him and i called him up that day and 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 it it began a 30-year friendship um i thought i had written the definitive Bill Parcells' autobiography, but uh, uh, other others followed. He is he is in the football Hall of Fame. He is a two time Super Bowl champ. For for my money, he is as great a football coach as ever lived, and I welcome him today. Hey, Coach. Good morning, Michael. You know, you know, Knight. Now you guys know each other all the way back to West Point. So you can imagine when he called me that day in the old Daily News office on Forty Second Street. I really wasn't um, asked to contribute a lot to the conversation.
0: Yeah, I know. He's, he, he's a pretty outspoken guy, but you know, we've been friends a long time and uh, I don't see him anywhere near as much as I used to. I do talk to him. I would say probably on a monthly basis. Um, You know, he's out in Texas and Montana. Those are his two venues and, I'm upstate New York and Florida so they don't we don't meet but every once in a while he comes down for spring training and we spend a few days but he's been a very good friend to me and uh, I always enjoy his company and we've had a lot of good conversations about sports and coaching and teams and administrations and all sorts of things.
1: And one of my favorite stories that he told me when he was coaching um at Army his star was Mike Silliman and I know you know this story. And Silliman uh, tore up his knee and was lost for the season. And he was a big star in that time of college basketball. And Knight called up one of his old mentors, Coach Claire B., who wrote the Chip Hilton books, and, and told him what had happened. He goes, oh, my God, I've lost Silliman. And Claire B. said, who's Silliman? Meaning... That team doesn't exist anymore. And I, I heard an echo of that after Mike Zimmer lost Teddy Bridgewater and he called you up and he said, well, they're not going to cancel any games for
0: you. That's right. That's exactly what I told him. And, you know, one of the great things that, that I've learned uh, from my experiences of, in coaching and being a head coach for an extensive period of time is that really no one really cares why you're not doing well. Um, (laughs) There's just no, I don't want to say no excuses, because sometimes, you know, the situation won't won't allow you to be successful, Mike, as you know. But, But no one really cares about that. And one of the things that I had always kind of forwarded to any assistant coach who had just become a head coach, I can recall doing this with Every single guy that I had had experience with, I tell them, I said, now look, there are going to be five things that happen every day now that you're a head coach in this business that you wish wouldn't happen. There are going to be five things. And if you can't develop a mentality to deal with that, you're really not going to be successful. If that kind of overcomes you, you're not going to be successful. So, you have to have the mentality of dealing with things that you wish wouldn't happen. Because somebody's going to be hurt. Somebody's going to be late. Somebody's going to be arrested. Somebody's going to be something. And, you know, you just have to be able to handle it. Now, when Teddy went down, you know, Mike had heard it. He knows. He knows. So, you know, I know Teddy personally. I was really saddened by that news. So, but you know, you got to just keep going because nobody really is going to pay attention to that.
1: One one of the things you told me when we were, we were doing the book that time was it's one of my favorite lines about sports. I quote you fr- quite frequently, but what you said, nobody remembers why you lost. They just remember why you lost.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's right. It's, it's, uh, you know, it's the reasons and you know, and I'm not, I'm not making light of this, but From a a fan's perspective, most of the time they feel that they're able to identify the reason why (laughs) you lost. And I'm not not mocking them in that regard. I'm just telling you, in my experience, this is the way it is. And it's always it, that, or him. It's one of those three things. Well, the reason they lost was, oh, that penalty over there, they didn't call against Julio Jones last week. Okay, that's the reason. Or it's that, that situation that, oh, he went for it on fourth and he should have never gambled there. Or, did you see the play that guy made? My God, if he doesn't do that, we win the game. So those are the three things, if that or him. (laughs) If that or him.
1: We're talking to Bill Parcells on the Mike Lubica podcast. The day you tossed off the line, way back in the day, you are what your record says you are. Did you have any idea that that would become as famous as anything you ever said? And one of the famous lines in sports,
0: you know, where I I really kind of thought about that. I was reading some of our division competition. When I was coaching the giants, I was reading some of our division competition brochures like the Eagles and the Redskins and Cowboys. I was kind of reading it and, in all three of them, there was a reference to, well, we lost four games by a total of nine points, you know, or some specific res- reference to the amount uh, of, of points that would have made the season entirely different. And it right. was always a nominal amount. And, well, you know, I'm going to say 14, whatever it was. And I'm thinking to myself, well, the reason you lost those it's because you weren't good enough to win those close games. And yet they were kind of promoting the next season on the basis of where we were almost successful. And so I'm saying to, say to myself, "Well, you know what? It doesn't make any difference how many <laughs> points you lost by. It's just, you know, that, that's your record. And, and it's, it's what, what it says it is, and it's what you are. And you have to accept it that way.
1: You know, I, I think, yeah, because I think the question that day, and I'm, I'm I'm paraphrasing, was that somebody said to you, you guys were kind of scuffling a little bit, and somebody said, you know, if this had happened and this had happened and that hadn't happened, you'd be st- like, I don't know, seven and four instead of four and seven. And you looked at the guy and said, hey, you are what your record says you are.
0: Yeah, well, that's right, Mike. And, uh, you know, there there are a lot of, photo finishes and horse racings and there are a lot of buzzer beaters in basketball and there are a lot of last minute overtime field goals and there's a lot of 10 round not 10th round knockouts in boxing but it's the results still the same there's
1: this notion that the the giants collectively you and ownership and everybody and i'm putting air brackets around this look the other way on lawrence taylor and that that you look the other way on what he was doing off the field because what he was doing on the field. And and I was just wondering if you bristle a little bit at that uh, representation.
0: I do. I, I I I do very much. You know, I'm I'm still very close with Lawrence, and uh, we've interacted over the years. Certainly, I see him on a yearly basis a monthly basis we run into each other but um it's just not true you know we we made we made extremely strong efforts on his behalf to try to rectify some situations and you know even to the point where uh we had you know some really, physical confrontation a couple times, myself and him. I mean, I was so mad at him. But, you know, it's... Look the other way. That's, that is a really an erroneous statement. Now, try to help like a troubled guy. You know, we, we did that. And we made efforts. And it, it wasn't just nominal efforts. I mean, we made... We made... Many, many efforts, and I think he would tell you that. And I think the two characters most in the forefront were myself and Wellington Mara, and we were both trying to, to do things. But you know, he's been, he's been a lot better in the last few years in terms of his substance stuff, and you know that's what I see. So I'm happy about that. Not Is what he the could best have player,
1: been, Not what he could have been, coach. No it's
0: not the situation's not what it could have been I mean oh, been you Michael mean it could have been
1: much worse it could have yeah. been much worse
0: and it could have been worse the other way and it could have been so much better for him too in terms of opportunity but hey, hey, I'm going to tell you one story about him Mike and and this is this tells you all you need to know we could have not been speaking for two or three weeks I mean we've had we had periods of that where I you know I was so upset with him and he was so likewise with me, that we would not communicate. we just kind of stare at each other. <laughs> and, um, but Sunday at 1 o'clock, when they were playing the national anthem, he always stood right next to me, always, no matter what the situation. And that was his way of telling me, well, you're a jerk, but I'm with you right now. And if you look at any of the video on the shot, you'll see him. He's standing there all the time, and it was just something he did, and that was his way of transmitting information to me, and about his feelings. And I understood that. So it's not. I'm not trying to be corny here. I'm just trying to tell you, that's that's he he had that loyalty, uh, regardless of how difficult situations have become
1: thanks for listening to the mike lupica podcast with today's guest bill parcells more of the conversation right after this from geico listen everybody's got a to-do list drop off the dry cleaning pick up some milk here's an idea let's add save hundreds of dollars on car insurance and the good thing is you don't have to drop off or pick up anything All you have to do is go to geico.com and in 15 minutes, you could be saving 15% or more on car insurance, extra money in your pocket. It may just be the most rewarding to do you do today. What's the worst it ever got between the two of you? Was it, was it in your office? Was it when it was just the two of you? Um, How heated Uh, did it become? You know,
0: it's like a, it's like an incredulous. You know, I don't have an addiction, thank God. I don't. I can't speak with authority. I had. It, I had it in my family. Uh, I've had it. I, I mean, I don't mind saying my dad had a, a an alcohol problem. Now he was not a. He did not drink every day. He was kind of like what they would call a binge drinker, if you know what I mean. Yep. And he would he would go for a long periods of time and not drink, and then he would drink. So my dad was well educated. He was a Georgetown law school guy, and so one day I'm in like I'm I'm in my 30s and I'm trying to. And he's he's has since stopped drinking for many years. So I I asked him this question. I said, you know. I said, you know where this is going. Why do you go there? I said, what, what makes you take that first step toward drinking? I said, why, why do you go there? You're a smart guy. What? Explain to me. He said, well, son, he said, I can't explain to you because it's a compulsion and you don't have a compulsion. He said, but I do, but I can't tell you, I can't answer the question because I can't explain what a compulsion is to you. And That really told me all I needed to know, that I could not understand it. And he wasn't, despite his high degree of intelligence, he was unable to word it in a manner that I could really gain an understanding about.
1: When you were coaching those Giants back in the 80s, the most entertaining part for me, just because I knew both of you as well as I did, was when i would see you standing next to sims after sims had come out of the game and and something ha- maybe had not gone the way one or both of you would have liked and i can see you both talking but it seems to me in the greatest debates you two never looked at each other and i was wondering if if those if those were the liveliest in-game debates you ever had as a coach
0: uh I would say some of them, not, I mean, I've had a few in-game debates now, so uh, there's just more than Phil. But, you know, Phil, the good thing about Phil is Phil and I understood each other's personality very well. And Phil was not sensitive. And, you know, when you're coaching a team as a head coach, you can't be too sensitive either because there are going to be some times where the players are going to try to get you too, and if you kind of show that you can't take it, then it you first you lose respect, and secondly, then you're not as effective when you're kind of giving it out. so But we understood each other we We just kind of came along at a necessary time for both of us. He was very, very important to my career. And I think, as time went on, I became more important to his. And even though it started off not too well, it it finally wound up real good. And uh, it's just you know, it he he was my guy. He's my quarterback, and I I was going to back him. And but that doesn't mean he was immune. And and he you know. You, Your quarterback's got to be a fighter, and he can't be sensitive, and he can't be a guy that pouts because he's got to run the next play. And and Phil, Phil never was a guy that kind of went in the tank, or you know, even if he went in it temporarily, he was out of it in in a few minutes. So, you you know, I was lucky to have him, Mike.
1: Okay, and 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 and, and I, I'm I'm telling you, I'm, I'm not telling you anything I haven't told you before. And I, Ernie Acorsi and I joke about this all the time. How often one or one of us or both of us will will quote you another and I'm paraphrasing what you said about quarterbacks, but you know what the quote was you find out what what kind of quarterback you have and and you can speak to this better than I do after he's thrown three or four interceptions, and the media's after him, and his the fans are after him, and everybody wants you to 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 play his backup
0: well you know his nose might be broken and And the other players are looking at them sideways, too. And the coaches are looking at them sideways. And the fans are are bullying them and the press is writing bad things about But now it's Wednesday, Mike. And you, you as a quarterback, have to get back into that huddle and demonstrate to everyone involved with this team that you can lead them. That's when you find out. Because some of them fold under that kind of duress. And others, you know, respond favorably. And so, you know, these young guys that start off and, hey, I'm, no, I, nobody could be more impressed than I am with Dak Prescott and Carson Wentz. I mean, my God, you got to be living in a closet to not see positive things. But six weeks into an initial NFL season, that's not the test. That's not the test. The test is coming, but that's not the test. Coach,
1: this it sounds like a simple question, but it's not. It's complicated. What the heck would you do if Odell Beckham Jr. were were one of your players, and he's that gifted? Because you've we just were talking about Lawrence for completely different reasons. Who's that gifted, but, but 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 can voluntarily turn himself into this much of a pain in the ass?
0: Well, here's my theory on it, Mike. Now. Somebody might take exception to this, but here's the way I see it. I'm going to go back in history. One of the best self promoters or maybe the best self promoter that I've ever seen in sports is a guy named Dennis Rodman. Dennis would paint his hair red and then create some some kind of bizarre uh, look, whether it be with whatever it was for that week. And the next week, his hair might be yellow and the next week it might be green, but he recognized and appreciated the fact that whatever he did was going to be paid attention to. So he, he began and I don't want to say self-promoting, but that's really what it was. He was self-promoting Dennis Rodman by these bizarre looks that he would create now. Right. Next generation, here comes Dion. Now, Dion does those little dances in the end zone, and everybody puts those on television because they're good television. And then comes Carol Owens, who will sign autographs for Popcorn and and do the same thing. And now we have a quarterback in the league. At every press conference after the game, he comes in a different costume. One week he's a carnival barker, and next week he's Mr. Peanut. The next week, he's got a Derby hat on. and, and you t- Are you talking about the reigning MVP of the league? I'm not talking about anybody specifically. I'm just okay. telling you what I witnessed. Okay. Now, Odell Beckham and other players like Odell Beckham, they grow up watching this. They watch it. They see it. And they see who's getting the attention. And all of these actions... On the part of the, their predecessors, say, "Hey, look at me!" At some, and it's point not in just time, in
1: sports. It's not just in sports. It's it's,
0: it, it's you in, see it, it in, in. Of course, it is. It's it's Madonna. It's Lady Gaga. It's all. It's it's not just in sports. You got you got that right. No one, no one has stopped it. No one stopped Dennis. No one stopped Deion. No one stopped. No one has stopped it. So. They know when they do these things, it's going to get attention. And some of them need that attention. And they want that attention because that promotes them. And, you know, you hear the word brand. That promotes the brand. That's the word the agents use now. We have to promote our brand. (laughs) So all I say is, I mean, I'm not a guy that doesn't like to have fun. So I like some fun until at such point in time it acts as a deterrent to the team winning. And when it becomes more important to be, hey, look at me, than it is winning, then I take strong exception to it.
1: More with Coach Parcells right after Mike tells you about Kronos. Kronos knows that many organizations maintaining a modern workforce of hourly, full, and part-time workers, for them, it can be a challenge. This is especially true for human resources professionals working hard to attract and retain all the best talent. That's why Kronos puts HR, payroll, talent, and timekeeping on a single cloud-based platform. It's one specially designed to give H.R. professionals supporting a blended workforce a whole new level of confidence with it. They have everything they need to tackle nearly any human resources challenge and are empowered to not just find and hire the right people but to engage, motivate, and reward them every single step of the way. Learn more about Kronos HR solutions for the modern workforce and the people who support them because Kronos is at heart a people business at Kronos.com slash HR swagger. Kronos workforce innovation that works. Tell me if this story is true. Tell me if this story is true because I want it to be true that, that, um, when McCon- Phil McConkey was returning punts for you, he had dropped a couple. And one day, you're standing next to his locker, and you're going through your pockets. And, and you're not talking to him. You're just going through your pockets and like, God, where is that? And, and-, and finally, he says, what are you looking for, Coach? And you said Meggett's phone number because Meggett had been his predecessor as your punt
0: returner. Is that story true? Well, no. Actually, the story is reversed. McConkie was Meggett's predecessor. Oh, okay, okay,
1: yes, I I, I completed yeah. it. Yeah, so yeah, I, yeah.
0: I did it to Meggett. I said I'm looking for McConkey's phone number. <laughs> so and then you know I still have punt returners. I this is a young man that's playing for the Saints now. That's from down here in Florida, where I live in the winter. And he was a rookie free agent punt returner, and and uh, he ran a 57 yard return last week for the Saints. And his name's Tommy Lee Lewis. Nice young man that I've been knowing for quite a while and spent a lot of time with. So I'm still working with those punt returners a little bit. And uh, we have the Atlanta punter that lives here in the offseason, too. So we kind of got a full crew. If I have a returner to work with, we can use. And then the punter, Matt Bosher, he comes and punts for us. So we we can get some real good practice against pro-style you know, competition. It's good.
1: It's always been a hard job a co- coaching Uh, pro football or any level of football and you've coached at at every level in all sorts of different venues. Okay. And, you know, obviously everything gets harder and bigger as we go. You know, what even now in politics, Coach, when they say, well, this happened to Bill Clinton in the 90s. Yeah, but it happened before the world of social media where everybody's hanging on every word and, and, and one misstep can cause a conflagration, okay? So yep. it's a long way around for me to ask you, do you think it is harder to coach players and coach your team now than when you first came to prominence? with the Giants?
0: Yeah, I do think it is. Uh, I think that's, uh, you know, the way the world communicates is certainly much different. Uh, the, the attitude of status, I think, is escalated. I think status is very, very important to a lot of young people now. And uh, I, I do think it's, it is more difficult Not that the game is more difficult. Not that the players are really that much different. But the ancillary issues and people and things surrounding the players are now greater in number than ever before. And all of them can have a marked effect. And uh, so, yeah, I do think it's, it's more difficult. And, you know... And the people who critique these jobs now are less tolerant and less patient. And you know, when I first went to the NFL, the people that owned the teams were all football men. The majority were thin, you know, the houses, the Rooney's, the Barons—I mean, on and on. Even the fledgling American Football League owners, Lamar Hunt and Ralph Wilson, and the great owners we had there, Al Davis of course. We're all football men. Now, that's not the case. They're businessmen. And they don't have backgrounds in football. And they're relying on other people. And other people have agendas. And, you know, you can't go right to the horse and like you used to be able to do and, and get an understanding because those football men that owned the teams were very experienced. And they knew and they'd seen it and they'd lived it. So you could talk to them about a problem that you were having, and they would understand it. So it, it is more difficult, I think, Mike.
1: And when, when, uh, you Still know, Bill Peltz... working now. Bill will be working. <laughs> Well, I say the same thing about my job. We're talking to Bill Parcells, the great Bill Parcells, with the Mike Lubica podcast. All right. So Belichick's supposed to succeed you. It's a line of succession with the Jets. And then he undoes that and he goes to the Patriots and, and, and the rest is history. And I remember writing at the time, and I'm sure you were royally pissed in the moment, that I actually kind of un- I didn't necessarily approve of the way he'd gone about it. But I kind of understood just from my from knowing him and and, and knowing the situation that I thought that maybe this in his mind was his way for him to finally establish his own identity and get out of, 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 of your shadow. That whole episode, how much of a strain did it put on, you know, a relationship that had been so strong for so long?
0: I would say a temporary strain. Definitely. Yeah. It was, you know, I had to do what I thought was best and he had to do what he thought was best. We just didn't agree on it. That's all. But that, that was a long time ago. And, you know, as time goes on and Bill's experience is so much greater now and his success is so much greater. And now he's experienced many of the same things that I had experienced as a head coach, particularly with assistant coaches and and some some disappointment with one another and here and there. I mean, he's, he's been through that all himself. And so he knows, he knows now from a retrospective view where I was and, and it's, uh, but it was a temporary, but we, we're, we communicate now well and I, I see him once in a while. We talk about football and, you know, he, uh, I like him. I think he does a tremendous job. And, and you know, I have a, a rooting interest for his quarterback up there, the young man, Jacoby Brissett. He's down here. I've known him since he was 16. And um, I'm anxious to see how his career unfolds. And he couldn't be in a better place than he is with Bill Belichick and Josh McDaniels and those guys.
1: When the thaw came, who, who picked up the phone, you or Belichick?
0: You know, I don't really know about that. We, <laughs> we both, you know, there were other people that didn't like the fact that we were, you know, we didn't, either one of us, I didn't think it should have ended that way. And I certainly didn't feel like it should. And, you know, we we just kind of phased into it, you know, he lived. He he lived for quite a few years in the same building I lived in down here in Florida. So, you know, we would see each other, and you know, we started going he's well. We told, let's go to lunch. I said, all right. So we go out there, and then, I mean, ten minutes after we're out there, we're talking about the same things we always talked about, you know, and if this football and and this guy and that team and this draft and. You know, because that's what he is. He's a football guy. And, you know, I liked his father. Had a good re- relationship with his father. And, uh, hey, he's done a great job. A remarkable job is the word. Remarkable. And I really am happy for him.
1: When Deflate Gate happened... And I, I have to admit, uh, you know, I've known you a long time. We've talked a lot of football. I mean, you've you've spoken really softly and s- slowly, and not used big words, so I, you know, you you wouldn't get too right. far ahead of me. But when that thing happened, you know, I called you right away, and you gave me a tutorial about what you guys used to do as soon as you got those footballs. Well, that was
0: before we had rules and regulations. There right. Wasn't any- right. I mean, yeah, we tried, to, we, we tried to make the footballs quarterback friendly. I mean, when you get those footballs out of the plastic bags, they've got a slip surface. I mean, Mike, every quarterback in the division was doing the same thing. They all wanted good footballs. So if I would see Randall Cunningham in warmups in Philadelphia, I said, Randall, we're all set, coach. That's what would happen and we come to New York, he look at me and say, "Don't worry, everything's fine, run." <laughs> so, you know, it's when they started bringing their own footballs, which which we didn't have that when I was coaching. When they started bringing their own footballs to the game, and that's when things got a little more dicey. Cuz in 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 when I was starting out, the team provided the football it was the home team. And so everybody's using the same. Well, you know, Randall Cunningham and Troy Aikman, and, and they want good footballs to throw, too. You know, they're not the, you know, we're not the only ones that want good football. So that's, that's what would happen. Then the league started getting, well, we're going to use this, we're going to do that, you can't do this, you can't do that. Well, that's what happened.
1: Now you're listening to the Mike Lupica Podcast, and Mike's talking with Hall of Fame football coach Bill Parcells. More with Bill right after this from GEICO. Okay, this is a 30-second commercial and I'm going to throw a lot of numbers at you, but 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 stay with me. In just 15 minutes, you could save 15% or more on car insurance. The company has been offering great rates and great service for over 75 years. Geico didn't come along just when they started doing these awesome television commercials. And anytime you need help, you speak to one of their trained specialists 24/7 the company is Geico. Go to geico.com today. Sorry for all the numbers and in 54321, I'm out of here. When you took over a 2 and 14 team in New England went to the Super Bowl. You took over a 1 and 15 team with the Jets and had the lead at halftime in Denver of in, in the AFC championship game. And so when, when you look back, and I, and I know this is like asking you to pick your favorite uh, daughter, okay? So I, I, I understand it's a bit of a loaded question. First Super Bowl with the Giants, the second one in Tampa, but you, there's got to be almost as much pride as taking doing what you did with those two reclamation jobs in New England and then with the Jets. Well, that
0: loss in Denver is the worst probably my worst loss oh it is i mean yeah i mean i i mean i think about that game and we we did some we had some turnovers there and you know people that never turn the ball over turn the ball over and uh you know like you don't you get know, caught up in that stuff you go you try to institute a program you try to they use the word change the culture you know you Really, it's develop your own method of coaching and teaching your players what allows them to win and what causes them to lose. That really is what the culture change is about. And how you instruct them and teach them to, and I don't want to, I'm not using this word in the literal sense. How you teach them to behave in certain situations is a reflection on good coaching. If they respond and understand, they use the term now all the time, situational football. Well, we were using that term 30 years ago. You guys need to understand this part of the field. You need to understand what we're trying to accomplish when we get the ball backed up. You need to understand what we're trying to do when we do. And I spend a lot of time myself in these kinds of situations and instructing the player on them during training camp, and then periodically during the season, we would have a whole review, like on a Friday afternoon, of all these things. And I would call out the players and have them give me the proper reaction to what we were going to do. Okay, fellas, what am I going to do now? Here's the situation. So I didn't want them to be surprised by any decision I made. I did not want a reactionary football team to my decision I wanted them an anticipating team that had been through this situation and could readily predict what I was going to do. And we would rehearse those things, and they would understand them, and they would put them in play when the time came. Not always perfectly, but that's that's the best part of coaching right there. When you teach them something and you practice it for three years and it never comes up in the game, but when it does, they're ready for it. And that's happened, that happened two or three times to me. They'd say to the... me on a Friday, right, we've got to practice this again. We know this. But it never had come up. Well, it came up in the AFC Championship with the Patriots, and we wound up getting three points out of it out of the half, at the halftime. So that gives you credibility as a coach, and it gives your team a sense that they're prepared. Coach, that was my favorite... Part
1: of of, for all the elements that that went into Malcolm Butler making that interception in the Super Bowl, I love finding out afterwards that when he saw that formation, they had talked about it on Friday at practice. Sure, that's
0: yeah, that's coaching. You know, that's a red zone staple for Seattle. We we got to understand what the red zone staples are, and we've got to be ready to defend them. And you don't have much time to decide because the ball's coming out very quickly. Tremendous play. Tremendous play by Butler. One of the great plays in history.
1: Right. One of the great defensive plays. Po- We're talking to Bill Parcells. All right, I, I, I've kept you longer than I said, but you, you know I lie. Okay. Um, you say that was the toughest defeat in Denver that day. Is there a difference between that and your greatest regret? Is there is there one regret you have a, a, yeah. across
0: your coaching yeah. career? Yeah, I, I, yeah, I've said it publicly. I, I think leaving the wing was really... You know, I had a young team there. You think about it now. I had Curtis Martin, I had Terry Glenn, I had Ben Coates, I had Drew Pletso, Willie McGinnis, Teddy Bruski, Ted Johnson, Ty Law, Lawyer Malloy, Adam Vinatieri, Troy Brown, and they were all young. And they were all young. Bruce Armstrong, probably one of the two best tackles I ever had. They were all young. And that was a hard time for me. And retrospectively, I think both myself, and I'm not speaking from, for for crap, I think we've done things differently retrospectively if we had a chance to do it again. I know we, we've both talked about that. So,
1: After the Cowboys, was there one more time when you almost came back to coach?
0: Uh, no, I don't think so. I have been offered a couple jobs to consider, uh, real, honestly. And that one reasonably... Uh, just a couple of years ago, but you know, Mike, I used to tell the players, you got to know where you are in this world, You've got to know what what you are, and until you really identify that as a player, you're you're not going to maximize. So it holds true for people too. Life goes on. It's a young man's game. I, I'm a guy that needs action. Now, football represented the the consummate in action. Now I have horse racing, competitive golf, and the stock market. And that's all the action I need. And for all the famous quotes
1: that I have either heard from you or attributed to you, you know that that, that nothing you ever said was more meaningful to anybody than what you said (laughs) about my wife one time. Isn't that true, Coach?
0: Yes, it is true. You overmarried and, quite a bit. <laughs> we had had dinner in Jupiter, Florida. I don't know how you, how you did that, but you did. Okay, fine, fine. Must have, must have been handcuffs and two MPs to get her down the aisle. <laughs> so, we, had, had,
1: we had had dinner in Jupiter, Florida. Had a very nice time. Coach, Coach and I were friends, and I wanted Taylor to to finally spend some time with Coach. We went out to dinner in Jupiter, Florida. The next morning, the phone rings, and 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 he says, "Parcells here," which is the way he's always uh, 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 begun phone conversations. And I thought, oh well, he's just you know, this is that soft, cuddly side of Coach Parcells, uh-huh. and he's calling to tell me <laughs> what a good time he had <laughs> last night. And this is what I hear: you overmarried, and he hung up. And Taylor Lupica has been dining out on that for the last... Sure, she should.
0: She's got her place in heaven. She's got an A-pass in there. She's serving her purgatory here on Earth. So she's got an A-pass in. Give her my best.
1: Coach, if I had one team to have somebody coach or one game to win, it would be you. It has been, it you know how much fun I've had knowing you all these years. I'm glad Bob you, and I Mike. called me that day. And this, as usual, I, I'm a lot smarter at the end of one of these conversations than I was at the beginning. Thank you so much.
0: No, thank you, Mike. You're very
1: kind and I enjoyed being with you. The Mike Lupica Podcast is produced and distributed by Compass Media Networks in conjunction with Hiltzik Creative. For iPhone users, go to the podcast app and search the Mike Lupica podcast. Click on the Mike Lupica podcast icon and subscribe. For non-iPhone users, you can listen on Google Play Music, TuneIn, Stitcher, or your preferred podcast platform.